Uh, so I'd like to introduce today's speaker. Uh, her name is Celia Juice. So if you'd like to come up, Celia, we'll get to know you a little bit. Uh, so, Celia, how long have you been a Christian for? Uh, I've been a Christian, I think, all my life. So I grew up having Christian parents. Uh, and if you want to know how long all my life is, it's 47 years now. <laughs> So you say that you've been a Christian for your whole life. Do you think yeah. there was a particular turning point or significant moment for you? Yeah, um, I remember my final days in Year 12 and I was studying hard and I just remember thinking to myself, is this just what life is really about? Like it's just I do exams, I move to the next thing, then there's the next thing and there's the next thing. And I think it was at that point that I thought, actually, this is where actually Jesus has significant things to say about where my life is headed and it's not just about following some path set to me or for me by my parents or by my society, but actually something that he sets for me. And so that became the starting point for me, really integrating, kind of going, okay, well, I've believed in Jesus my whole life. Now how do I make sure that he is actually helping me live a life for him? Great. And so your final question, why is Easter important to you? It's got to be the chocolate, right? <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, for me, and I, I truly feel this at Easter. Um, in the church where I go to, uh, there's a sign out the front, um, at the front of the physical building, and it actually says, "He is risen. Uh, he's not here." Uh, and I always look at that sign, and it just helps me remember that for Easter, it just means that death is not the end. Um, and that is something that we all kind of come across and as you get older, something that you really wrestle with as you see your parents die, some of your friends get sick and frail and probably dying. And so the hope of kind of going, if this is real, that, you know, Jesus is risen, um, then death isn't the final thing anymore. And so I really love Easter for that very fact. Um, by the way, I'm a senior staff worker with the EU, so I've been working with the EU now for six years, and simply all that means is really my job has been to walk beside students, help them understand who Jesus is, and grow in their faith and understanding of him. But here's the question that I'd like you to go and resume with the person you were previously talking with. What is the best experience you've ever had of swapping places with someone? A uh, couple of people feel brave. What's the best experience you've had of swapping places with someone? Maybe one from this side, one from this side. Anyone? Feeling brave? Yeah, right. Okay, so. Yeah, maybe you swap, you swap positions with people. Yeah, sure. Look, it might work to your advantage. Great. Okay. Anyone on this side? Best experience of swapping places? Oh, wow. We really lead dull lives, don't we? <laughs> okay. Uh, look, the, the most glorious one I could actually think of, right, was when I was on a long haul flight. Kenya to Thailand, and I managed to swap seats with someone, and guess what I got? The four in a row, which means I could stretch out and sleep the whole way, because one guy said, yeah, sure. And I thought, oh, bless, you're really kind to a nice old lady. Anyway, so that was my best experience, okay, of swapping. 
but maybe you'd be more familiar with this. Katniss Everdeen, our hero from The Hunger Games, who, if you remember rightly, changed places with her younger sister, uh, Primrose, so that she actually participated in The Hunger Games rather than her sister. Or perhaps you may not have heard of this guy. His name is uh, Alexandro Harraro. Okay, and last year he became infamous for swapping places with his twin brother uh, who was visiting him in jail. They swapped clothes, meaning they swapped identities, and he broke out. Worked pretty well for him, swapping places, albeit, can I say, he drugged his brother to actually get that to happen. Maybe not so great for his brother. But let me also tell you about this man, a French lieutenant uh, who actually decided to swap places with hostages who were being held by a terrorist. Let's hear a bit of this. Overseas tonight, a new development in a deadly terror attack in France. The country paid tribute to a field police lieutenant killed after volunteering to trade places with hostages in a supermarket. Authorities revealing new details about the gunmen supporting ISIS and the weapons they recover inside. ABC James Longman is in Paris. Bravery had a face tonight in France. Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Bertrand being remembered for taking the place of a female hostage in Friday's deadly terror standoff. The decorated Iraq war veteran walking inside this supermarket unarmed, leaving his cell phone open so the police knew when to storm in and kill the attacker. Now, tribute to the 45-year-old killed by the gunman pouring in, his brother telling French media he gave his life for a stranger who probably knew he had no chance. So there you go. There you have it. That's quite an extreme experience, isn't it, of swapping places with someone. And look, I don't know who would you swap places with. Would you be like that guy? Or actually, maybe you're sitting there asking a question thinking, well, would anyone swap places with me? I mean, can you imagine? Would someone smarter than you? Someone who actually was physically healthier, maybe more athletic, more thinner, more muscle, maybe you're thinking, well, would, would a stranger do that? A family member? A friend? I have a friend called Bruce, and we've been friends for over 15 years. And uh, last year he was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal cancer. Would you swap places with him? That's what someone actually asked me the other day. They said, would you swap places with him if you could? And you know, what would the outcome be if we did? Certainly for me, it would mean I would die. But for Bruce, probably means he would have at least another 20 to maybe 40 years of um, marriage with his wife Jody. He'd get to see his eldest son Matthew graduate from uni, who only started uni this year, by the way. He'd probably continue doing the job he loves and enjoy spending time with family and friends. So who you would swap places with is an important question to consider. And depending this, uh, this afternoon on who you think Jesus is uh, and that he is willing to swap places with you uh, will become important because it will impact the rest of your life. And so today we're going to enlist the help of one of the eyewitnesses who was around when Jesus walked on earth. And uh, he was uh, he wrote a biography about Jesus, and we're going to hear part of it read to us now. 
Mark chapter 15, verses 9 to 16. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin came to Pilate. So they bound Jesus, made him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was moved. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner when the people requested it. A man named Barabbas was imprisoned with an insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and I asked Pilate to ordain that he should receive. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing he was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate relieved the rabbit's He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So Mark writes, we've only just heard part of his biography, but he writes because he has a particular goal and he's trying to answer two key questions. Okay, The questions are, who is Jesus? And then why did he come? And it's clear from Mark's biography, particularly when you get to chapter 15 of his biography, that he thinks Jesus is a king because the, the title king is used of Jesus quite frequently in that chapter. But it's even more clear that the people in the chapter don't agree with Mark because, in fact, there are three groups of people who we were introduced to in the story. The first one is the chief priests. Okay, They are the people that look after the religious code uh, of the Jewish people, and in verse 1 we were told of uh, chapter 15 that they had plans to assassinate Jesus. In other words, they wanted him gone because they believed that only God was king and hence this guy running around claiming he was king, to them was just the whole thing was offensive. Okay, So they certainly didn't think Jesus was king. The second person in the story which we were introduced to was Pilate. And Pilate, frankly, was put there by the Roman Empire and his job was to control the city. So in other words, if some kind of rebellion broke out, he had to make sure that it was squashed back down. Uh, he had the power to either let people live or to sentence them to die. And his first encounter with Jesus probably led to some confusion because Jesus would have been brought in, beaten, harassed, pretty much looking like a bloodied mess, and looking hardly anything like a king. And so if you're listening carefully as Liz read out our Bible reading for us, that Pilate asks a fairly reasonable question. He goes, are you the king of the Jews? He feels pretty confused about it. But then the third people that we were also introduced to in the story are the citizens of Jerusalem, of the people of the city. Okay, and say so they don't see Jesus as king either because if you're reading and listening carefully to the account, uh, if they really thought Jesus was king, they would have all been arrested and tried for treason. But they don't think he is. 
In fact, they're so convinced that Jesus is a nobody that they'd prefer to have a convicted criminal go free than Jesus. Just goes to show how little they really thought of him. But see, this is the context of which Mark actually pitches his whole kind of the centre of his story. He wants it to be centred on an exchange which is going to take place. And the exchange is between Jesus and a political rebel called Barabbas. So it comes about when the people of the city were able to take advantage of a custom which was made once a year available to them where they could actually get to decide who who lived and who died. It's a pretty amazing custom to take hold of really, isn't it? And so Pilate doesn't really understand what the issue is between Jesus and the chief priest. He's not really sure what their beef is and why the chief priests really don't like him. Uh, but he kind of realises as well that it's kind of out of self-interest uh, that the chief priests want Jesus assassinated. But he says, as he scratches his head, aren't you going to answer for yourself? Don't you hear all the things they're accusing you of? And Jesus stays silent. And so in his own efforts to save Jesus, Pilate tries to actually gather the people and the crowd who are there and think, well, look, maybe if I offer Jesus, they will pardon him because Pilate can't actually see what the point is. He can't see that Jesus has made any kind of criminal activity in the town or in the city and he's quite happy actually for Jesus to go free. So he enlists the crowd to help him and say, who do you want? This man? But they say no. They say, set free Barabbas. Imagine being in Pilate's shoes when you hear that answer. When you're thinking, this is, this is terrible. I'm here. I have the authority. I'm a politician. How do I deal with the fact that now I've got a guy who's innocent, who the people want me to kill, and I have to let this convicted criminal go free? It's actually a politician's nightmare because he'll either be known as the politician who was put there in Rome who actually let one of the greatest inversions of justice happen or he'll be known as one of the people who let a Shakespearean tragedy, one of the greatest ones of all time, happen. But at this stage... He's totally misunderstood the crowd and what they want because he was banking on the fact that they would go, no, 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 in this exchange, no, let Jesus go free. But what they're doing is playing the odds. And you know what it's like to play the odds, don't you? Throw the dice, have a bit of a gamble. You probably do it if you know that your assessment is due in tomorrow, but you kind of go, well, you know what, I reckon that 2% isn't worth it because I reckon I can get more on my grade if I just hold it back another day. Okay, or maybe like the bachelorette or bachelor, if you're a fan, okay, you have to play the odds. You have to vote off someone because you think somebody else on the show is actually going to make your life more worthwhile. It's going to make you happier. And so for the people of Jerusalem, they're playing the game, hmm, how do we get rid of the Roman government who we don't like? Who is the best horse to back? It's got to be Barabbas. And so they choose Barabbas over Jesus and the exchange happens right in front of Pilate. Why would Mark actually include this exchange? 
If he thinks Jesus is a king, why portray him so pitifully that he's actually a scapegoat? He actually pays for something he never did. Do you see from a human point of view how crazy this actually is? Why would anyone do this? Barabbas is a guy who deserves to be in prison. Okay, He's a known criminal. He's a political rebel. He murdered civilians. He did, as an attempt to gain power, kind of lead an insurrection or a mob riot, if you like. And yet the people are insistent. They are on the verge of a mob mentality because every time Pilate comes back and says, who do you want set free? They go, crucify him. They don't just want the exchange to happen. They actually want Jesus to die. And so at the heart of this exchange is an innocent person for a guilty one, Jesus for Barabbas. And Jesus, in Mark's biography, silently swaps places on death row so that a political activist can go free. Doesn't resist, doesn't argue. It takes place. And see, Barabbas needs Jesus, doesn't he? Because if it wasn't for Jesus, he would still be in jail, on death row, waiting for his execution. He wants to get out of prison. If he wants to escape that execution, then he needs someone to take his place. And you can almost imagine, can't you, as he's sitting in his cell, hunkered down, just waiting for that time when they're going to come and lead him off to get killed, that as he hears the footsteps approaching of the guards, that he thinks, this is it. You know, my time's come. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. And yet can you imagine that as they unlock the gate, swing it open, ask him to put his hands out so they can release the shackles, that as they do that, at that very moment, the guard's saying to him, looks like you're free to go. It's your lucky day. Jesus is going to die instead. Could you imagine if you were Barabbas? But see, we need Jesus too. And this is where the exchange comes into play for us. Because through another lens, even though we look at it from a human point of view, we go, that is just nuts. That's just ridiculous. But if we looked at it through another lens, what we would actually see is that exchange which happens between Jesus and Barabbas is actually an exchange which happens between Jesus and us. Because we're all on a trajectory of death. All of us at some point will die. And as you heard what I said, I loved about Easter, that one of the beautiful things about it for me was that actually maybe death isn't the end. That's what I really enjoy about Easter. But that's because of Jesus. See, we're all on a death sentence, and maybe not because we've been convicted of a crime. I suspect hardly any of us have actually led a mob strike upset the uni to such a point that the police are called in and we're carted off arrested, right? It's just not our story. In fact, I suspect that we're probably average, pretty nice people, okay? That's why we're here. But we've all lived an autonomous life from God where basically what we've decided to do is seek independence, power, things in life which plead us, which please us, but with no consideration for God, no acknowledge of him. And we've just decided to be 
if you like, passively aggressive towards God. So no, not really against him, but not really for him either. Which means that even living an ordinary life here at uni or in the suburbs, wherever you're from, can be in profound defiance of God if it's done independently of him. Where we carry on our lives and where we say, well, actually, I have no need for him. And the Bible sums that up in a term which we're used to hearing, but the Bible talks about that as sin. And you notice how that sin in this sense isn't about morality or ethical behaviour, but it's actually about where we stand in relation to God. And we're all guilty, all of us. See if this sounds like you. If you've ever built a life by looking to a career or maybe a romance with someone to give us everything that we desire, chasing the latest experience, building that picture of who we are and what our lives are like on Instagram by beautiful photos and witty kind of captions, maybe accumulating piles of possessions or things to keep us amused, entertainment to give us a meaningful life, filling every single moment of ours that we have to try and keep us as happy as possible, but all without giving God a second thought. We're all guilty. And the consequences are massive. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But have you ever wondered about why it is that we die? Because this is the answer. The reason is it's not just old age, it's not just that, you know, death is part of natural living, but actually that we ignore God. We don't acknowledge him. And elsewhere in the Bible we're told that this is the God who gives everyone life and breath and everything else, and it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And hence, therefore, to ignore God, who gives us life and the very breath in our lungs, is actually choosing to put ourselves on that trajectory of death. That's what we decide. And God honours that and he allows it to happen. But here is the offer that I want you to consider this afternoon. Remember what I said before about who we just swap places with? Or maybe to the point, who would swap places with you? Because I've just said to you, you're all on death row. Me too. But the only way out is as much as Barabbas needed Jesus is we need him too. Because we need someone who will step into that space and go, I'll do it for you. You can have that second crack at life. You can actually reconnect with God. All you have to do is accept the exchange. You need to let me take your place. Would you consider that, that you might be able to go free if Jesus took your place? Would you feel then, as I often do and am reminded of every Easter, of the freedom of thinking, I don't need to be scared about death anymore? And actually neither does my friend Bruce who became a Christian actually when he was at uni, just like you, because he actually realised he'd lived the life for years and years and years, which was fine, it wasn't bad, he just didn't give God a second thought. And at uni was where he heard for the very first time that actually God really cared about that 
And so Jesus and Bruce made that exchange. So that what it means for him now, even though he will die most likely this year, is that for him, death is more like an interruption, but it's actually not the end. Because he's decided to swap places with Jesus. And so this is your chance. Will you swap places with Jesus? Will you let him take your place? His death for yours. Will you accept his offer this Easter so that you can reconnect to God who gives you life, the very air in your lungs? Because this is the choice you can make. If you want to know more about Jesus, because I understand that for some of us we might need a little bit more investigating, I'd really like you to consider reading the rest of Mark's biography. Uh, it's here and it's called Uncover. And if you were brought today by somebody who's a Christian, um, they would love to read this with you. And so tell them, ask them, and say, yeah, read Uncover with me, please. Okay? There are heaps of copies available, so they're easy to grab. So that's one thing that you could do. But maybe one thing you would like to do actually is keep coming to public meetings. Keep learning more about who Jesus is. Maybe sign up for a small group in the EU. Find out more about Jesus is there through others. Read the Bible of others. Find out other options of investigating who Jesus is. And we'll have a chance to do that in a moment. But lastly, maybe today is your day and you're going, actually, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to make the exchange. And if that's you, well, then I'd like you to join with me as I pray now and just join with me as I say amen at the end. The prayer will make sense. So why don't we just close our eyes. I'm going to pray on behalf of us all. And again, if you want to make this your prayer, just say amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for sending Jesus to swap places with me. Thank you that his death pays for mine. Please forgive me for living a life that does not acknowledge you nor give you a second thought and has been largely independent of you. Now help me to live the rest of your life or the rest of this life living with you, being in relationship with you, being reconnected to you. Amen.